Introduction to Christian Decision Making with Father Michael de Stoop. Father Michael de Stoop is the Archdiocese of Sydney's Director of Vocations. He has much experience in assisting people discern God's will in their lives. This talk was recorded in collaboration between Cradio.org.au and xt3.com. Okay, hello everybody. Starting with technology, ready? While we're waiting for to start up, I'll just briefly introduce myself. Father uh, Michael Bistoop is my name. I'm the Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Sydney and also the Parish Priest of St. Benedict's of Broadway. And uh, you enjoying seeing? Yes. Fantastic. Um, any of you at the Vocation <coughs> Expo on the last three days? Yes. Very good. Were you praying for good weather? Yes. Oh, well, you're amongst the people I need to thank then because we, the Lord certainly delivered, so thank you very much. Um, well, today I have the great pleasure of introducing to you um, the insights of St. Ignatius, his tried and tested insights on Christian decision making. In his spiritual exercises, he gives much um, uh, good counsel on how we can follow Christ. And discernment, you might recall, is one of the, um, the charismatic gifts that St. Paul refers to. And um, since we're in the year of grace, we speak of charisms as particular manifestations of God's grace. And so it can be um, really enlightening for us to look at ways of life in which areas of our life where we are enriched by God's grace in this particular charism called discernment. And it's certainly um, of great uh, um, benefit for us to be people of discernment. Discernment is helpful for us to follow Christ. Um, but it's also especially helpful for us to discern his will in the various instances um, of our lives. So let's have a look at um, this presentation I've prepared. So what we'll be looking at is the three times which St. Ignatius refers to in which we can make a sound and good choice. Um, when he says three times, I guess we can also substitute that with three modes. So he's speaking of three modes of discernment, and each of them have their special place. The first time is when God our Lord so moves and attracts the will that without doubting or being able to doubt, the devout soul follows what is shown it, as St. Paul and St. Matthew did in following Christ our Lord. So we'll look at this um, in now greater detail. Look at the characteristics of what he's presenting there to us. The first time is an experience which can arise suddenly, outside of any formal process of discernment. So what he's saying there is the person's not actually sitting down in prayer or thinking reflectively about what kind of choice that they're deliberating upon. Um, rather than us going out to God, God is coming to us. There's this moment of visitation, this moment of enlightenment, where a person just suddenly knows 
But this is what the Lord is asking of them. This experience is not consistent an extended process of discernment. Rather, it is God's freely bestowed gift which is received passively. It may occur not only in dramatic ways, but in quiet, hidden ways, yet with a deep certitude that cannot be doubted. So such a person, when they are discerning according to this first time, have this great gift of clarity. If God does not choose to give this gift of immediate clarity, then he is calling us to discern in other, more active ways. And that's where the other modes of discernment then come into play. If we look at some essential elements of, of the first time to examine so we can apply them to our own experience, this mode of discernment contains three elements. Firstly, something is shown to the person. To quote St. Ignatius, he says, the devout soul follows what is shown to it. Secondly, the person's will is drawn to what is shown. St. Ignatius says that God our Lord moves and attracts the will. Now the will, of course, is the faculty by which we are able to choose and love. The person cannot doubt that what is shown and what so draws the will is truly God's will. St. Ignatius here says, without doubting or being able to doubt. Now since such clarity is received, no further means of discernment is necessary because of such great clarity that is going. Having said that though, St. Ignatius would say if you want further confirmation, then the other times, the other modes of discernment can be helpful. Um, one other thing which we could talk about here before we go on is it's important that we don't just simply see this, what he's referring to here, in terms of the huge decisions that we make in life, the big decisions, the person's vocation, uh, you know, who to marry, or um, whether it's to enter the priesthood or religious life. Um, it can be even little, subtle little things. And um, the manifestations of um, uh, what he's referring to here, likewise, can be lots of subtle different things which arise within a person's heart. So it's, it's helpful for us to be in tune with them. He also says that we do well to be especially uh, attentive to those moments when there is something bubbling up inside which has no preceding cause. Now when he says no preceding cause, he's referring to uh, a moment which is not, is not happening during a moment where we're doing anything particularly spiritual. So, for example, if you're going for a walk and you're taking your dog for the walk down the street, and all of a sudden you feel that you're really absorbed in God and there's this uh, great sense in which you're not acknowledging His presence, um, His love for you is burning strong, it's manifesting itself quite clearly to you, then uh, He says, be attentive to the thoughts which are uh, occupying your mind at that particular point. Because that's, that's more likely, as we'll go on to see, He gives reasons for this, more likely to be the, uh, um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, he says if you are doing something particularly spiritual, but the manifestation of the Lord's presence to you in some way, uh, what touches your heart in some way, uh, is disproportionate to what you're doing, that also warrants a closer look. So for example, you might be in prayer, you're doing something particularly spiritual, but you're so totally moved, you've got tears rolling down your cheeks. So you can see how that's disproportionate to what you're actually doing at the time. So he says, be attentive especially um, to what thoughts are occupying your mind during those times. Um, the um, mode of discernment that I had in seeing the priesthood was 
was the first mode. Not many people receive such a blessed gift. Uh, I say a gift because I've never had any doubts. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a wonderful gift to have. Um, and I can remember distinctly that I was uh, reading about the Passion of Christ in my room one night, and uh, you know, really um, reading about the suffering that Christ went through because the book was actually illustrating with historical detail um, how crucifixion was devised by the Romans to really bring about the, the, the most degree of agony possible. And as I was reading this, tears began to roll down my cheek, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a priest? to respond to this total self-giving of Christ and to give uh, an indication of, of my level of maturity at the time. Uh, as soon as that thought entered my mind, I began to think to myself, where did that thought come from? No, I didn't think that. I didn't think that. I didn't think that. <laughs> um, so, uh, but nevertheless, the inspiration was there. And so St. Ignatius says, when those manifestations hit you, and when I say hit, you know, sometimes they can be subtle things. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, uh, big things. Um, particularly if we're not doing something spiritual at the time, um, then uh, we do well to, uh, to notice what, what thoughts are emerging. Any questions about what I've said before we go on to the second time? Okay, let's look at the second time. Here we're quoting St. Ignatius again. The second time is when sufficient clarity and understanding is received through experience of constellations and desolations and through experience of discernment of different spirits. Let's have a look now at the characteristics of what he says there. Um, so on account of this process, the often confusing clash of attractions and resistances gives way to spiritual clarity. This is the merit of St. Ignatius, because he reveals us to ourselves. You know how it is, someone might be discerning something, they might be discerning about what university to, to, uh, to make an application to study at. And maybe they've um, got a choice between two different uh, universities. And this brings us to the, to the significance of what it is to discern, because when we're discerning something, it's different to making a moral choice. When we're making a moral choice, it's trying to avoid evil and to choose good. But in this particular instance, both universities are good. Now, why would you want to go to an evil university? <laughs> um, so... Um, this is, uh, I guess, what we speak of the, the great gift of discernment because discernment helps us to choose between two goods. If, you know, it's hard enough sometimes to choose between, uh, to overcome evil and to choose good. How much more difficult is it to choose between two legitimate goods? So, um, um, here we can see how this particular insight of St. Ignatius helps us to overcome the, the often confusing clash of attractions and resistances that gives way to spiritual clarity. So what we're referring to here is, you know, one moment you might be thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to uh, Notre Dame University. Um, I say that with bias because it's in my parish. Um, um, I'm going to go to Notre Dame University. And then later on you think to yourself, no, no, I, I, really, should be, I, should, I really should be going to ACU or maybe the Catholic Institute of Sydney. They're, they're, they're Catholic universities too. I'm, uh, maybe I should, should go to them. And uh, you end up being confused because you're vacillating between the, t the two or the three and you think, oh, well, eventually you get so confused and you think, well, what, what, what do I do here? You know, it's paralysis by analysis. So um, um, the insights that Sunday Notice gives here can be very helpful. You're probably now becoming quite curious as to what they are, but we'll, we'll look in, in, in these in, in a moment. 
Um, faithful attention to our spiritual constellations and spiritual desolations allows us to grasp any emerging patterns of attraction and resistance. Now, before we go on to the next point, I might just point out um, what he says here about spiritual, spiritual constellations and spiritual desolations. Um, put your hand up if you're familiar with the term constellation and desolation, those terms. Some of you are, okay. So basically what they are, they are umbrella terms for various types of interior movements that we human beings experience. Um, they are tantamount to other terms that St. Ignatius uses, such as good spirit and bad spirit. So um, no points for guessing, you know, which one of those would you think match, would match up? Consolation? What do you think that is? Good spirit or bad spirit? Yeah, moments when we're consoled, you know, we speak of how Jesus is going to send us the comforter, the consoler, the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Um, so that's indeed the good spirit. Um, desolations. Um, St. Ignatius sometimes uses other terms for, for, uh, for the bad spirit. He refers to the enemy. Um, uh, um, and uh, as well as the, um, I forgot one of the terms he uses too, but we can see how those terms are quite interchangeable, they mean the same thing. And when he uses the terms good spirit, bad spirit, he's not just simply speaking about you know, God and the devil, he's not expecting us to be so credulous as to think that it's attributed to these things um, all the time, um, but uh, the things that are, that are related to them. So when we speak, we speak of good spirit, you know, we're referring to not just to God and his immediate, you know, um, actions within the soul. We're also speaking of such things as sanctifying grace, um, the assistance of the angels. We all have a guardian angel, for example. Um, the influence of uh, good Christian friends. Um, all these kind of things. Um, the assistance that we enlighten, we receive in prayer. Um, the, the, uh, the, the great uh, witness and intercession of the saints, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, how did you come into a room and you might think this room's got a good spirit to it? So um, we, we speak of that, that, that term in those terms as well. Uh, and likewise with bad spirit. Uh, we might have heard some people who might be rather fundamentalist and say, it's the devil who made you do it. You know, um, um, obviously when St. Ignatius says bad spirit, we're also referring to such things as you know, the bad influence of other people, bad company, um, perhaps also weakness of human nature. Sometimes the devil doesn't need to do anything because he probably steps back and laughs at us because of how we trip over ourselves on the of human weakness. Um, and so on and so forth. We speak of, um, uh, it can be helpful to have that holistic sense, you know, um, for those particular terms. So to give you an example for constellation. Constellation, St. Ignatius would say such things as when a person is inflamed with love of its, um, of its Lord. Um, or times where we notice an increase in faith and hope and charity. Times where we might be moved uh, to, and touched um, um, and, and with tears. The tears might be in relation to uh, the passion of Christ, or it might be in relation to sorrow for our own sins, or it might be a, a, a response to the uh, awful things that take place around us, um, and so on and so forth. Um, that's just a sample. He goes on to explain some other things to look at in greater detail later on. Um, desolations, darkness of spirit, when a person begins to doubt and lose confidence, um, all those things that weigh heavy upon us. So I think at that stage, that, that's a good, a good way of introducing these particular terms so we can understand what he's referring to as we go deeper here.
Unlike the first mode of discernment, the second mode is not given by God in one moment, nor is it received passively, but is a process we actively engage in over a period of time. So rather than the first mode where all of a sudden, you know, we have this visitation from God in some way, um, this is where we need to be actively involved and engage in this discernment process. And of course, as we're seeing here, it's over a period of time. In the second mode of discernment, discernment of spirits, which is part of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, and the discernment of God's will, which is a separate part of the, of the spiritual exercises, these two uh, coincide. We see how what great fruit comes when we cross-reference one with the other. The person discerning should be attentive to when he finds himself in spiritual consolation and when he finds himself in spiritual desolation. So this asks for, you know, it requires a great degree of attentiveness, that we can be attentive to our own interior movements. Um, it also requires a great degree of listening. You know, a few days ago we celebrated the Feast of St. Benedict. And St. Benedict was someone who was known as a great listener, the like of which is very seldom known in the hearts of people today. Because we live in such a, 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 a noisy world, and when I say listening, I'm not just talking about the listening that we listen to others and we receive their good advice and all, all that kind of salutary, you know, good kind of thing. Um, that's, that's praiseworthy and that, that's important. But a listening that takes place in the interior silence of our own hearts. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's something which St. Benedict was uh, indeed famed for, uh, famous for. And um, it's, it's the kind of thing that we also need to... Um, engage in and often employ to make this mode of discernment possible. Uh, this mode of discernment presumes that the one discerning understands and can recognise experiences of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. In his spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius provides ample descriptions of both precisely for this purpose. And uh, what I've done is I've produced a discernment guide and in the guide, in the appendix, it, um, it uh, lists all the different descriptions that St. Ignatius gives for um, the movements of the, uh, the good spirit, the bad spirit, otherwise uh, the, desolation, the constellations and desolations. And um, I've also provided a brief uh, description of what St. Ignatius is referring to there. That can be very helpful because the more and more that we are in touch with those interior experiences that are common to all of us, um, then, um, you know, it's a difference between a common touch, where someone, you know, might have a common touch, but it's different to speak of being touched in common. Where we are all touched in common is this stuff. You know, um, this is part of what it is to be human. All of us experience these human emotions. And um, so if we can become more familiar with them, then we can be in touch thereby with... Um, this particular uh, insight that St. Ignatius gives when we are trying to discern God's will in our lives. As we'll also see, um, a clear mode of discernment emerges on account of how St. Ignatius explains, we're quoting him here, for just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary with the thoughts which come from desolation. That's from Rule 4 of the discerning spirits. Um, 
So let's look at this here before we go on to rule five. In rule four, we're seeing that we can expect that there will be a contrast. And yet how often many of us, we go through life and we find ourselves in that contrast and rather than seeing the clarity that we'd otherwise see, we end up confused. So take, I'll give an example. A young man, he's finished school and he now wants to apply himself to study and to, and to establish his career, he's looking ahead, and he thinks to himself, well, it'd be great if I study medicine. It'd be great for me to become a doctor. And he notices that in moments of constellation, it's that thought, it's that thought precisely that often comes to mind. Um, and he begins to entertain the thought, and in moments of consolation, that these thoughts are beginning to, to expand and dwell up within him. He becomes, becomes quite excited. He's at peace. Um, he's had this tranquility of, of, uh, of heart during this time when he's thinking of, of medicine. And, uh, but then later on, uh, other times of the week or other times of the month, um, you know, he hasn't begun to enrol. It's holidays, for example, and uh, university hasn't started or opened up. So during this time, you know, he's, um, he notices that uh, in moments of desolation, where he's governed by darkness of spirit and doubt within himself, he begins to think to himself, how on earth did I ever think that I could become a doctor? Sure, I did go to school, but my goodness, a doctor is such a dedicated way of life. You know, I, I've got to be available 24-7. I could be caught out of bed, you know, and I... Um, it's, it takes so much discipline and uh, self-discipline and self-sacrifice. Um, maybe I'm not cut out for this kind of stuff. So what happens? He ends up confused. Really, really confused because one moment, now he's thinking all, all out, I'm going to be a doctor and he's really excited by it. But by it. And other times he's really doubting those thoughts. And so um, such a person can very readily, very readily end up being quite confused. Um, but it need not be, because this desolation stuff, it can be to the very um, undoing of the enemy. Because here St. Ignatius is saying that just as constellation is contrary to desolation, you know, we don't have to explain that, We've, we know what desolation is, it's consolation, but it poles apart. Just as they're different, he says, in the same way the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. Um, so that, that example, I think, helps to illustrate that because we can see that there is a consistency. We're talking about confusion here, but there's not necessarily so much confusion because there's actually a continuity. There's a constant pattern emerging in his life where in moments of, of, of desolation, he's got thoughts which are totally contrary to this attraction he's experiencing in, in, in consolation. Um, looking at Rule 5, it helps us to make even better sense of rule four. The two are quite connected in terms of their insights. He says, in time of desolation, never make a change. Because as in consolation, the good spirit guides and counsels us more, so in desolation, the bad spirit, with whose counsels we cannot find the way to a right decision. Great insight there, isn't there? And yet how many people actually make choices when they're in moments of desolation? Um, so and he's, saying, he's giving a reason here as to why it's important that we don't do that because he says, well, in moments of desolation, we're more likely to be guided by the bad spirit. Whereas we can have greater confidence that we're, we're led by the, the, the good spirit in moments of consolation. Um, and what we said before is just, much, just as much applicable here that we do well to be particularly attentive to moments of consolation 
if they don't have any preceding cause or if they're disproportionate to what we're doing at the time. Any questions about that? Yeah. It just, um, you hear lots of stories about people having kind of conversion experiences when they're at their worst. So to me that sounds like that they're, um, they're making a decision when they're in desolation to turn their life around. Is that, going on that, does that mean that like, I mean, obviously objectively they're making the right decision there. Yes. But using this, does that mean that according to this that's actually the wrong decision that they're making? They're in a state of desolation. Yes. Well, what we're talking about here, we're talking about discernment. We're not talking about conversion. Okay. And the grace of conversion, while it is a very um, beautiful grace, is different to the grace of discernment. And that's why it's always a very wise thing for someone who might have just gone through a conversion just to wait off a bit before they actually make a decision which is especially pertains to a very important commitment. Because, um, say for example, we've got a young man who I've had this happen, happen often, where he comes to see me and he said, oh, Father, I want to make an application for the seminary. And I'm thinking to myself, great, it's wonderful. But then when we investigate into um, his suitability, we realise that he's just had a, a recent conversion. There's wise advice, and we find the same thing that St. Paul in his letter to Timothy gives the same advice, not to um, ordain someone uh, if he has gone through a recent conversion. Just so he can sit it out, so that he can have it under the test of time to see if that... I mean, one of the common characteristics of an authentic inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that it's consistent and it's persistent. So um, if that sort of dwindles off and wanes away um, after waiting it out for some time, then that's going to help him to differentiate whether it's a grace of conversion or a grace of, of, of discernment. Um, one other point we would do well to illustrate is that St. Ignatius, um, we're, we're looking here at, at the rules of, of, of the spiritual exercises which pertain to discernment. He has an earlier one, Rule 1. We're looking at Rule 3, 4, and 5. Um, rule 1 is talking about conversion. And in Rule 1, it's the reverse of this stuff. It's quite intriguing, isn't it? So. Um, when we are under the influence of the bad spirit, we have that sense of darkness of soul and we have that sense of loss of peace, etc. Um, but that's for someone who's actually making progress towards God. But for someone who's actually going away from God, someone who is making the wrong moral choices, not just choices pertaining to doing God's will and pursuing the right kind of path or um, career choices or vocation or... Uh, things that pertain to um, uh, growth in, uh, in uh, the, the, the charity of state of life. Um, but but moral, bad moral choices, which is not in keeping with the gospel and the commandments. Um, St. Ignatius says that it's the reverse of this stuff. So for someone who is guided by the good spirit, when they go in the wrong direction, they're going to sense within themselves a gnawing and a biting and a whole sense of uh, you know darkness, that kind of thing. Um, it's more or less God's way of saying, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> go the wrong way, turn around, come back. You know? um, so, um, and uh, we're robbed of peace. You know? Why? Because we're robbed of God's grace. Um, but the moment we're back in God's grace, we see and experience in ourselves a total um, a, a shifting of that. And uh, so when we're under the influence of the good spirit, um, 
sorry, when we're under the influence of the bad spirit this time, not the good spirit, we get that sense of loss of peace. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just on that, uh, and sort of linking back to what you were saying about the medical student, somebody that's discerning going to medicine. Um, but like, if we if, if, if even get the reason as well, when they say the student uh, that medicine wasn't the right career path for him and he was having negative feelings about it, surely that would be the right choice. So if it wasn't the right path for him, that he was reasoning it out and realizing that no, he wouldn't actually be good at medicine for logical reasons. Um, but he's having negative thoughts, obviously, but it's still the right decision. So how yeah. does that fit with uh, the it, it, it fits quite nicely. Um, this is where we see that the insights of St. Ignatius uh, have a, um, a great clarity. Uh, they give great clarity. It's a good question, and I'm glad you asked it, because it gives us a chance to highlight that. Um, St. Ignatius, um, when he's speaking about the different manifestations of the bad spirit, the forms of desolation that we experience, one of them that he actually identifies uh, is false reasons that disquiet. So there's reasons involved, yes, but there's a false kind of dimension to the reasons. Um, there's a twisting of the truth. Um, there is, uh, um, you know, for example, you know, when I was seeing the priesthood, I was thinking to myself, I I'm not worthy of that vocation. I'm not worthy to be a priest. Um, there's logic to that. There's reason. It's true. No one is worthy to be a priest. <laughs> um, but there's a twisting of it. Because if God gives the grace for a person to respond to that call, as he said the same, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Then in that context, we can see, okay, well, it's good for us to recognize and in good humility that the person's not worthy. Um, uh, but, uh, but also to take into account you know, the, uh, the effect of God's grace. So... Um, Sure, this guy, this, this student who's entertaining becoming a doctor and studying medicine, um, he begins to think, oh, how on earth can I do that? And I always run reasons that are involved, this reason. But he's not taking into account the kind of enlightenment that he's receiving in moments of consolation, that God will give him the grace, that God's grace will get him out of bed, you know, and help to serve people who might be sick and ungodly, etc. And, and, and bring great fulfilment in knowing that he's helping people to, uh, you know, to grow in their health. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Any other questions before? Yeah. Um, what would you, what would you say like if, for example, it wasn't just medicine, but there was medicine and something else, and he's receiving moments of consolation in two things? Like, is that something that could happen that you could receive consolation in two things, and that becomes confusing? Um, it can, but stay with that because we are going to look at the third mode, and that's very much in that camp. So that that that. That's, um, that's something which we would look at. Said that again, it's a good question. Um, good, okay, move on. So you can see how the, 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 there's great wisdom in what Seenosha's um, is telling us there. Um, okay, so understanding what the following things are critical uh, to discernment. We looked at bad spirit and good spirit. We looked at, sp um, we looked at uh, spiritual consolation uh, and spiritual desolation. And what, we, what we're highlighting here at this point is that it's helpful for us, in fact it's key, to understand the difference between non-spiritual uh, consolation and non-spiritual desolation and spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Why highlighting the difference between non-spiritual and spiritual? 
Um, well, I, I guess the best way of doing this is to illustrate it with an example. St. Ignatius is saying, in moments of desolation, never make a change. Now, what he's referring to there is spiritual desolation, not just non-spiritual desolation. So, I'm going to give you a few examples to illustrate this point. A bloke comes home from work, he's absolutely exhausted. It's been a stressful day and he's physically tired and um, he remembers those words, those words of advice from St. Ignatius. In moments of desolation, never make a change. So he thinks to himself, oh, I'm in, des I'm in spiritual desolation. Um, I won't go to bed at, uh, sorry, I'll, 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 I won't go to bed at an early hour, uh, even though I really should because I'm tired, because um, after all, St. Ignatius says, in these moments, never make a change. So I'll just stay up and I'll go to bed at the usual hour. The following day, he's going to be even more stuffed. So um, we can see how that's a misapplication of the insight there of St. Ignatius. So that's, that, that example gives us a, a key uh, example of why that difference between non-spiritual and spiritual desolation are, are required. Because this guy's not going through spiritual desolation. We can explain what he's going through through natural reason alone. It's not faith-related. Um, it's just simply a physical uh, dimension of his, of, of, his, um, of his existence that we're looking at here. Let's look at another example. Um, someone is spending some time in prayer. And as they are spending this time in prayer, they begin to experience a certain degree of, uh, of dryness, um, darkness of spirit, uh, beginning to go through different kind of doubts perhaps, finding it hard to, to, to maintain uh, a sense in which they're in God's presence, so on and so forth. So this thought comes to the person's mind, uh, maybe I'll wrap up my prayer early. I was going to spend some time up until such a time you know, in prayer, but after all, I've got lots of other things to do. Uh, they're important. Um, maybe I better go off and turn my hand to those things because you know, things, aren't, things don't seem to work in several of my prayer here. All of a sudden, the person remembers those great words of St. Ignatius, in moments of desolation, never make a change. So the person thinks to himself, aha, okay, yes, I'm in desolation here. So um, rather than leave the chapel early, I'm going I'm I'm to stay here. I'm going to remain committed. And I'm going to try to, even though I've, I'm not so conscious of the presence of God amongst me, I know in faith that he's here, and I'm going to exercise that charity in response to his by remaining faithful to prayer. In fact, St. Ignatius would actually say that it's very helpful for us when we are conscious of such moments to go the opposite direction. So we might actually spend an extra minute or two in prayer. You know? And uh, that way we can really uh, um, nip the, uh, the enemy in the bun. Yeah? So, uh, uh, so he's very big, St. Ignatius was very big on, on uh, you know, uh, if we're ever governed by some inclination to be short of the gospel, then go even further. You know? um, so, um, uh, so yeah, does that, those two examples explain why, Saint, why it's important when we apply these rules of St. Ignatius, we need to know that dichotomy. St. Ignatius states that we should pray regularly on the life of Jesus in the Gospels. So doing, we should be attentive to our spiritual experience, that is, to review it. We would do well to review it in writing, as St. Ignatius himself did when he was discerning. St. Ignatius also recommended that we discuss the nature of the spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation with the spiritual director. So two things there. Um, keeping a journal, even if it's just no key words, 
you may not have much time in today's busy world to write a whole you know, day's experience in full, but just to record uh, key words to your daily experience. You might have a column, consolation, other column, desolation. And under those columns, you might want to describe the nature of that um, consolation or desolation that you're experiencing, having a good knowledge of what St. Ignatius describes of ritual health. Um, that'll help you keep you helping to keep an inventory of those things. And then to write down in association with those feelings, those emotions, those interior movements, the thoughts which are associated with them. And eventually what, we'll see, what you'll see is a pattern emerging. And that can give great clarity to a person's discernment. Um, secondly, he's speaking about speaking to a spiritual guide because by doing that we can, we can gain objectivity. You know how it is when you bounce an idea of someone, you gain greater knowledge of self or greater knowledge of what, what you're discussing at hand? Um, it's very much that kind of thing. And because self-interest is always involved in us human beings, having an objective other can also help us to gain clarity uh, in light of that. One good analogy is, um, say for example, you know, someone comes into this room, the doors and the windows are closed, um, and so when this person comes in the room, steps in, after he opens the door, the first thing he says, he says, oh, it's really stuffy in here. None of us have noticed it up to that point, because it's happened gradually. It's a gradual, just, it takes place little by little over a period of time. But someone from outside notices it inst instantly. So when we're bringing our experiences to someone who's giving us some spiritual guidance, we also gain that benefit too from someone who is, um, is able to pick up on those things and someone with a different perspective and that kind of stuff. Um, um, what we're doing here is we are now quoting what we had quoted before, but in its full context. We did quote this first line before, but now we're going to quote the whole par paragraph because now this gives even greater sense to what St. Ignatius is saying. He says, in time of desolation, never make a change, but be firm and constant in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation, or in the determination in which one was in the preceding consolation. Because as in consolation, the good spirit guides and counsels us more, so in desolation, the bad spirit with whose counsels we cannot find the way to a right decision. So we've heard the first part and the last part, but there is a middle part here where he says that, you know, sure, in time and desolation never make a change, but what? But be firm and constant in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation. I'll illustrate this with an example too. Saint Teresa of Lisieux, God bless her, um, great saint as you know, doctor of the church, uh, on the day that she was making her final profession, of all days, the day she was making her final, depression, final um, profession, she went into a very, very, very dark, dark desolation. So much so that she thought to herself, maybe I shouldn't make my vows. Maybe I have, um, I mean, she wasn't a maybe, she was convinced that, that desolation can sometimes have a certitude of its own where um, a person can be so uh, overwhelmed by what's uh, going on that they think that they've made the wrong decisions and all this kind of stuff. Um, so um, what she did, she went to go and speak to um, one of the sisters who was guiding her, the, 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 uh, the master of, of the, uh, the sisters who are going through formation. 
And uh, once she had aired it with her, um, then this, uh, this person dis uh, was able to uh, uh, let her know that she was going through desolation. Um, and such was her humility, she even went to go and see the Mother Superior. And the Mother, <laughs> the mother Superior laughed at her. And that laughter was so disarming that she realised, okay, I'm subject to the enemy here. Um, and uh, so she went ahead and she made her final profession. Can you imagine how dire the consequences would be if she had, first of all, listened to what was taking place in that moment of desolation? And, uh, and secondly, she hadn't remained firm and constant? And thirdly, can you imagine how dire it would be even if she did go ahead and make a final profession, if she didn't air it with someone? Because for every day therein, after, after making her final profession, for years afterwards, she would have been thinking to herself, maybe I shouldn't be a sister, maybe this is not my vocation, um, what am I doing here, maybe I should leave. You know? But she nipped it in the bud right from the beginning. So, great example there we have from St. Teresa of Dr. Shua. Um, if you've done all that the second mode of discernment requires, but do not find sufficient clarity and understanding for discernment, then St. Ignatius says you will need to discern according to the third mode. Let's look now at the third time. The third time is one of... <coughs> actually, before we go into the third time, as we've done with the first two, any questions you have about the second time? Okay, yeah. um, the third time is one of tranquility. When one considers first for what purpose man is born, that is to praise God our Lord and save his soul. And desiring this, chooses as a means to this end some life or state within the bounds of the church, so that he may be helped in the service of his Lord and the salvation of his soul. I said a tranquil time, that is when the soul is not agitated by different spirits, and uses its natural powers freely and tranquilly. So we can see here that the merit of the third time is really trying to gain objectivity. <coughs> standing back from the situation, looking at the pros and cons, um, all that kind of thing. And what he says here about states of life, we can also say about other decisions too, about what university to study at. Study at um, what uh, circle of friends you want to be involved with, or, or involved with um, and so on and so forth. Let's look at the characteristics of those words of advice. Um, St. Ignatius taught that when God has not shown his will by the first mode of discernment, which is clarity beyond doubting, and when sufficient clarity and understanding have not been given through the second experience, uh, a second, uh, second time, which is the experience of consolations and desolations, he says we are to proceed to the third mode of discernment, which is what we're looking at here. This third mode of discernment is not based upon experience of consolation and desolation, but in consideration of advantages and disadvantages <coughs> for God's service related to either option. One must review the reasons which support one of, sorry, one uh, or the other option and attempt to identify toward which option the greater weight of reasons inclines. So we're looking here for the propensity of... Uh, Sorry, the, uh, sorry the, for, for the preponderance of reasons. Uh, critical to this mode of discernment is the understanding that one must consider spiritual reasons, that is, reasons based on faith and the greatest service of God. You might recall him talking about the context of, of, of these things and the salvation of one's soul. 
In synagnosis's vocabulary, these are reasons that suggest that the options, uh, sorry, that the option being considered will be for God's greater glory. That is, this option more than the other will serve to make God known and loved in human hearts. This mode of discernment must only be employed when calm and tranquil in order to reflect well on the reasons for each alternative. This means neither being stirred by spiritual consolation nor troubled by spiritual desolation. So in St. Ignatius' own words, he says, not agitated by different spirits. And so the person employing this mode uses its natural powers freely and tranquilly, as he says. Let's look now at the example that St. Ignatius himself uh, gives to us. Um, we're looking at, what we're about to look at is um, what a companion of his describes when um, he saw St. Ignatius trying to uh, implement his own advice here. When he decided something of great weight and importance, he always first consulted with the Lord about it in prayer. And the way he did this was the following. First he emptied himself of any passion or attachment which often confused and obscure judgment so that it cannot discover as easily the radiance and light of the truth. And he placed himself without any fixed inclination or predetermined direction, like matter ready to take any shape, in the hands of God our Lord. After this, with great energy, he asked God's grace to know and embrace the better choice. Then he considered with great attentiveness and waited the reasons which presented themselves for one option and for the other, and the strength of each, and he compared them among themselves. Finally, he turned again to our Lord with what he had thought and what he had found, and reverently placed it all before his divine gaze, beseeching him that he would give him light to choose what would be most pleasing to him. So we can see the great sincerity with which St. Ignatius, and in keeping with his great love for God, um, really saw um, discernment as what it really is. is a gift that God gives. And so we need to beseech and implore and ask for such a gift um, and have reverence for it. We also see that um, this whole sense of emptying. See how he says here, first he emptied himself of any passion or attachment which often confused and obscured judgment. So this concurs with advice that St. Uh, Alphonsus Liguri gives. And the advice he gives is rather comical. You know, we might picture a funny comic here. Um, he says that, um, so, and he's talking about the importance of having indifference to discern. Now, when he says indifference, he doesn't mean our understanding of indifference in the 21st century. Our understanding of indifference is, oh, well, who cares? Um, he's not talking about that but an indifference in terms of how we're not attached to one thing or the other. Um, so St. Saint, uh, Alphonse says that he who lacks indifference is like the pilot of a ship who throws the anchor and then unfurls the sails. <laughs> you know, you can imagine that in a comic book, you know, you, you have someone throwing the anchor and then unfurling the sails and you're like, hi-ho, silver, and then, uh, 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 it's not going anywhere. Um, and deep down, the person doesn't really want to go anywhere because of, because of this attachment. 
So it's important that when we, uh, we do this, it's interesting that when I'm giving assistance to people just doing the vocations, I'm sure it's the same thing with just any other things too, that um, when a young man is deceiving the priesthood, he might have this fixation that he's called the priesthood, but he's going through all kind of different confusion. He's not too sure if it really is his vocation or not. It's interesting that when the clarity comes, it's when he's more open to marriage. Why? Because he's not attached to the whole idea of becoming a priest. Um, so that's also in keeping with, with what Sinatius is, uh, is saying here. So I'm recapping what he's saying there. If the heart is not calm, is not in a tranquil time, as he says, this third mode of discernment should not be attempted. So it's a time that we need to wait and wait for the right time. Notice in St. Ignatius' words that we begin this third mode with a consideration and a desire. We consider the foundation on which all discernment is built. Divine love that has given us being and purpose and that calls us to praise God our Lord. Uh, praise God our Lord with our lives and so rejoice in eternal communion with God. This, uh, through this consideration we clearly perceive that all true discernment is the choice of a means to this end. Um, in St. Ignatius' words there. Is that all clear for you? Now, with the third time, St. Ignatius speaks of two ways within the third time. So we've seen the first time and the second time, they stand alone. With the third time, it then breaks off as a fork in the road where we see two ways. So the first way within the third time um, I might um, share them with you, or at least there's some samples of them with you, just to help you to gain an insight into the great wisdom that he presents to us in them. The first point is to place before myself the thing about which I wish to make a choice such as an office or benefice to be accepted or refused, or any other thing that may be, a, may be the object of a choice that can be changed. The second point, it is necessary to have as my objective the end for which I am created, that is to praise God our Lord and save my soul. All these things that we were talking about before. Um, and he speaks about that we do well to find myself like a balance at an equilibrium, ready to follow whatever I perceive to be more for the glory and praise of God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. Third point, to ask of God our Lord that he be pleased to move my will and place in my soul what I ought to do in the matter before, before me that would be more for his praise and glory. Um, he further qualifies that, but I'm conscious of time. We'll move on. Fourth point, to consider by way of reasoning how many advantages or benefits accrue to me if I have the office or benefice proposed, solely for the praise of God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. And on the contrary, to consider in the same way the disadvantages and dangers there would be in having it. Then to do the same in the second part, that is to look at the advantages and benefits in not having it, and in the same way at the advantages and dangers in not having it. So, in other words, really rolling up your sleeves and using your imagination to imagine what it would be like. You just sort of see yourself there uh, in terms of weighing up those advantages and disadvantages. Fifth point, after I have thought and reasoned in this way about every aspect of the matter before me, I will look to see toward which alternative reason inclines more. 
and in this way, according to the greater movement of reason, and not through any sensual inclination, I should come to a decision in the matter under deliberation. So we're looking at weighing up the, the, uh, the, the, the merit of, of, of the preponderance of reasons here. And finally, the sixth point, having made this choice or decision, the person who has made it should, with much diligence, turn to prayer before God our Lord and offer him this choice, that his divine majesty may be pleased to receive and confirm it, if it is for his greater service and praise. So, um, good advice there. We see that from uh, St. Ignatius. So I've just read that part that's illustrated there to you in the PowerPoint presentation. So this can, can um, come in handy. So for many decisions we face in life, he's saying you place before you the thing about which you want to make a choice. This could be your present career or a new one, work or further studies, a choice of degree for which you are considering to study, a choice among particular universities or some other educational institutions. The change of the place of your, of your residence or to remain where you are. A person among others you are considering to maintain as a friend. Choosing a particular work or ministry in your parish or some other form of volunteer work. Marriage to a particular person or to another or to remain single. Whether you are called to marriage or the priesthood or the consecrated life. Whether you are called to, uh, to be a semi-contemplative uh, in a religious community or a fully contemplative in a closer religious community. Uh, discerning whether you're called to the diocesan priesthood or the religious priesthood. So there's just a few sample, uh, sample uh, examples of what kind of things that we can present uh, in this um, first way amongst the third kind. We might just move on because I think that one, this particular uh, mode of discernment is quite clear to, to understand and to perceive. Look at the second way. I might just uh, read them to you quickly, a sample, get a sample of some of these. The first rule, the first is that the love which moves me and causes me to choose this thing must descend from above, from the love of God, so that the one who chooses should first of all feel in himself that that love, greater or lesser, that he has for the thing he chooses is solely for the sake of his Creator and Lord. Second point. The second, to look at a man, this, 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 this is really wise advice. It's, when you read this, it's, it's just like, wow. You know? To look at a man whom I have never seen or known and desiring all perfection for him, consider what I would tell him to do and choose for the greater glory of God, our Lord, and the greater perfection of his soul. And I, doing myself the same, follow the, room, follow, follow the rule for which I propose for the other. You know, we gain so much more object, object, objectivity if we can stand out, outside ourselves. And, and that's the merit of that particular insight. The third rule. The third to consider as if I were at the point of death, what procedure and norm of action I would then wish to have followed in making the, the present choice. And guiding myself by this, make my decision entirely in conformity with it. Again, you can see this great uh, wisdom of St. Ignatius and how we can gain objectivity and uh, bust our way through all the things which um, can reduce clarity. Fourth rule, uh, looking and considering how, how I will find myself on the day of judgment, to think of what decision I would then wish to have made about the present matter 
and to adopt now the rule that I would then wish to have followed, so that then I may find myself in full satisfaction and joy. And then there's a note at the end of it, guided by the rules of, given above for my salvation and eternal peace, I will make my choice in my offering to God our Lord in accordance with the sixth point on the first way of making a choice. So it finishes in the same way, namely then to um, for the person with much diligence and, and, and in prayer to then submit that choice uh, to, uh, to the Lord for, uh, for him to receive and confirm it. Um, so I think that um, common to all of these six rules of the second way in the third time uh, is that uh, these rules are there, it's the way of testing ourselves as we discern such that it helps us gain an objective view of the choice itself. It thereby helps us to choose with greater freedom. Um, I think we might end it there. I think most of the rest of that is pretty self-explanatory in terms of what I've got on the PowerPoint slide there. Um, do you have any questions? Because I'm going to conclude the presentation with um, some uh, testimonies of various people who have applied these principles and that can help us to help them see these principles in the flesh which can then give further assistance to us. Um, I won't uh, give a testimony for the first time because I think it's something which we can picture quite readily within ourselves. Perhaps we've all had those subtle at least moments in our life where we've had a visitation from on a high, where we have been in touch with some kind of inkling. It might be just simply we're, we're going for a walk down the street and all of a sudden there's this moment of peace that begins to emerge within us and this thought which is associated with it, is wouldn't it be nice to apologise to that person? Now you're a bit short with that person, so maybe it might be a nice thing for you to do that. And as you reflect upon that, it even gives you even more peace. Um, and um, so I'm sure all of us have at least had those kind of experiences where we have um, had some kind of inclination of God's will for us, um, which is very clear, and we have no matter of doubt. We're convinced that this is going to be a good thing for us to do. I could give you the testimony, but I'm conscious we only have a few more minutes. So we might go now to the um, the testimony that illustrates the uh, second time of discernment. And what we'll be doing in doing so is coming at it from both angles, because as you can recall, a person is to discern in this mode, in this time of discernment, through being attentive to consolations and desolations. So the first testimony um, will be highlighting how a person is put in touch with God's will through consolation, being attentive to the thoughts which arise in moments of consolation. So in this one we're looking now at Laura's testimony. Laura describes key moments in her personal discernment. She writes, Stephen and I had known each other since the start of college. We had dated on and off for two years and then seriously in our junior year. For me, the discernment happened long before then. In the middle of my sophomore year, during the, during the January term, I did a service project. I spent three weeks teaching children in a grade school run by sisters. I loved being in the classroom with kindergarten and first grade children as a teacher's assistant. 
Being with the children was a deeply joyful experience. I remember how beautifully contemplative the time was then. I would take bike rides, watch the birds out of my window, just slowing down. I remember being very peaceful. I don't remember thinking about Stephen that much. The time was quiet, peaceful, a joy. That's what I remember. I was in the convent with the sisters. There was no huge moment of truth about religious life. I was just not drawn to it. That was a conscious discernment. The fact that I was living in a convent at that time, at the time that I was coming so alive with joy, never said to me that I was being called to religious life. There wasn't any drawing to it. It never came up that the joy was due to a call to religious life. I never felt this. The joy of being with the children built gradually. It was that intense joy that brought Stephen to my heart, wanting to share that joy. One day I was sitting in the classroom with the children, feeling all of this. I thought the only thing that could make this better would be if Stephen walked through the door at this time and I could share this with and that he could share this with me. I loved the teaching. The one person I wanted to share it with was Stephen. I knew that when I was most joyful, I wanted to share this with Stephen. So we can see that it's a moments of consolation. She's thinking of Stephen. So we can see how this is uh, giving further confirmation happening consistently. It's not just happening as a one-off. It's happening consistently. Um, this gives rise to a good question um, that we could ask and is, well, what about for those who are called to preach in religious life? Does that mean that they're to so totally inhuman, that their hearts are so cold, that they have no affection for other people? We don't think of them, and we don't have any excitement in terms of good things that happen during their day, and oh, I, can't, I can't wait to tell this good friend of mine, etc. Certainly not the case. Um, I think for those who really consecrate their lives to Christ, there is a great burning charity that takes within us because there's not two forms of charity, is there? We love God and we love neighbour with the same virtue of charity. And it's for those who are growing in their intensity for love of Christ, their intensity for their love of neighbour will also grow. But for someone who is called to marriage, the love of Christ is mediated through another. And so you can understand how um, the most significant forms of consolation will happen in the presence of another. For someone who's called to the religious life of the priesthood, those moments of consolation were most heightened, believe it or not, when they're on their own. When they're, or at least when they're praying in the community if they're, if they're out of a communal, communal vocation. Um, uh, why? Because God's presence for such a person is not mediated, but directly imparted, infused uh, to them. Um, and that bespeaks of the, the, the beauty and the dignity of such a vocation. So um, uh, I, I suppose that, that helps us to understand why it is for such a person um, as, as Laura, who's called to marriage, as why um, in moments of consolation, uh, Stephen keeps coming to mind. Um, I'm sure, you know, if I had a friend whose name was Stephen, um, or any other friend, uh, and good things happened to me, I'd also be thinking of, you know, I can't wait to tell this person. But uh, it also would be very engaging for me to be really thanking God in prayer. But the whole thing really gravitating towards that desire to, um, uh, to grow in that union with God in those things too. Um, let's look now at the testimony of Patrick. And Patrick realises his vocation 
not through consolation, but through desolation. And this, as I said before, illustrates how being in touch with our desolations can be to the enemy's own undoing, um, provided that we are prayerful enough and are attentive to his interior movement. Patrick is a freshman in college during uh, college studying education. He has a brother who is a priest. They are similar in personality, gifts, weaknesses and interests. It is easy for Patrick to see himself being like his brother. Because of this, the possibility of him being a priest is something he has considered for years. He decides to apply to the seminary for the fall of his junior year. He is accepted. Within a few months, during his prayer, when he is experiencing a peace and stillness, the desire for sacramental marriage begins to grow. He knows that the desire for marriage in a man's heart is natural and not unusual. So he regularly brings his experience to spiritual direction. More and more, his desire for an experience of the presence of God is filled with a desire for marriage. They are often experienced together. However, during this, the fear of making a wrong decision and what his family will think of him often comes to mind. He worries about disappointing them and letting them down. This causes self-doubt and he feels pressure to stay in the seminary. Over time, his spiritual director helps him to see that this pressure to stay in the seminary is coming from the Spirit against Christ. So gradually in prayer, he begins to turn away from the fear and pressure and the clarity of God's desire for him to pursue the vocation of marriage grows. Eventually, he leaves the seminary and pursues the vocation of marriage. Today, Patrick has been happily married for seven years with three children and teaches history and religion at the local Catholic high school. Patrick learned that the desires that came to him in the midst of pressure and fear were not from God. So at least at the beginning stages of discernment, being afraid of what God wants for us can often be a human response to an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is actually authentic. This fear, this type of fear, can be experienced especially if what is being discerned is met with resistance. That's why often people can be afraid at the beginning stages of the Sabbath, because it's like, like me when I was first in touch with the call. Where that thought come from? No, I didn't think that. I didn't think that. You know, that, 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 that fear. But being afraid about what others may think of us, or being afraid of making a wrong decision, which is the kind of fear Patrick had, <coughs> is an experience of fear which suggests that what is being discerned is not of God. So we speak of two types of fear. There's a fear which is in relation to self and there's a fear which is in relation to God. Not that we're like, <laughs> afraid of God, but it's, um, it's that fear which comes from love. That's why we speak about fear of God in the Scriptures. It comes from love because when you love someone, there's a natural consequence of that that we are afraid of offending that person or hurting that person or losing that relationship. So that's a, a godly fear. That's a good fear to have. But this is not the fear that, um, that Patrick is experiencing. It's a fear in relation to self and in relation to others, what, what they're going to think of him. Um, uh, afraid of making a mistake. Um, that's kind of thing. So um, can you see how we can see that uh, from both the front door and the back door, as it were, um, Consolation and desolation both help us put us in touch with uh, what it is that God is like in calling us to. Um, the attraction in moments of consolation and the detraction in moments of desolation 
both point to the one thing. It would be different if a person uh, had attraction in consolation and an attraction in desolation. That's not happening. That really would be confusion. But there's an actual continuity, a wonderful blessed richness of grace where we can see how there's this um, horizon opening up, where we, especially if we keep a, a journal, where we see a pattern emerging where there's a consistency of an attraction to uh, what, what God is asking of us in moments of consolation and a detraction in moments of consolation. I think I've run out of time to share with the last testimony. The last testimony illustrates the, um, the third time. It's actually a very good testimony because it's something which um, I think uh, really does, good, would, does put good flesh on those um, insights and sensations, but unfortunately we're out of time. Um, for those of you who might like to have the further assistance of going through this discernment guide, um, you're welcome to grab one from the vocation centre um, and uh, uh, we can make them available to you uh, with a donation or something if you like. Um, and uh, that way you have the added benefit of being able to take, take this to career. One thing I haven't shared with you in this assignment guide, because this has just been a, a basic introduction course, is um, to go into greater detail of the descriptions that St. Ignatius gives of the various forms of consolation and desolation. And after I've introduced those to the reader, I've then got some bullet points of how you can actually apply them to your own experiences. And that can then even give, greater, even give greater depth of insight to what you're to see um, in a whole manner of different kind of choices that you might have seen. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's uh, a, a discernment guide we've, we've produced in the Vocation Centre. Um, I've got some copies here, um, but unfortunately, with such a busy week with seeing the Vocations Expo and stuff, I, um, I didn't manage to bring in uh, any more than that. Any questions to finish with? Let's finish with a prayer, and it's the prayer um, called, It is Jesus That You Seek. It's a prayer that was written by Pope John Paul II. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else will find when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is He who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices. The choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently, to improving yourselves and society, 
making the world more human and more fraternal. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be, world without end. I'd like to give you a blessing, shall we? The Lord be with you. And, and may Almighty God bless you with His peace and consolation in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Radio.org.au